God, we are indeed your children. Nothing can separate us from that truth. And so we thank you this morning for your goodness and for your kindness. Before we ask you for anything, we thank you for everything because you are good and your mercy endures forever. Thank you for this great gathering of sisters and brothers beloved to worship you in spirit and in truth. And as we now approach your word, we confess that it is yet a lamp unto our feet and light unto our path. And so we pray that you will speak to us clearly and distinctly to the end that your people will be blessed and we will have all heard from heaven on this day. Bless this preacher to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth for your glory and for our good. And we'll give your name the praise, honor, and glory that you alone deserve. It's in the name of Jesus, the Christ, our Lord, the people of God say amen. amen. It is a joy indeed for me to join you behind this sacred desk on this Lord's Day. And I must rush to express my most profound gratitude to your senior minister, uh, the Reverend Dr. Bill Evertsburg. Thank you so much for your warm invitation and your hospitality. And Kathy, it's a delight to see you today. Uh, to all the Reverend clergy who serve this church, to all the leaders, to all those who are serving in positions visible and invisible today, uh, we thank God for you. And were we not blessed by the music ministry of the bell choir and the voice choir, let's give God praise for them. We, we thank and praise the Lord for that ministry uh, bringing us to a place where we can receive the word of the Lord. I would invite you to join me in the book of Acts chapter number four. Uh, for those of you all who are in that antiquated number who bring Bibles to church, uh, you might turn there. And for those of you all who have iPhones uh, and Android devices, you might flip there. Uh, Acts chapter number four, I'll begin reading in verse number 29. Hear the word of the Lord. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant us your slaves the ability to speak your word with complete boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. Signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathering was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and went to speaking the word of God with boldness. Thus far, the reading of the scripture. And as you here at Kenilworth continue in your series on the rebirth of the church, the Lord has directed me to share with you all from the sermonic thought when God shakes the church, when God shakes the church. What does it mean, brothers and sisters, for us to be Christian? What does it mean to be Christian? Is it a political ideology that suggests you will always vote in a particular way because Christianity has become a political platform and Jesus become 
the mascot of a particular political party? Is it a social affiliation where you proclaim with all pride that not only are you a member of a certain country club and an alumnus or an alumna of a particular university and you are a member of the Kenilworth <laughs> Union Church. Is that what Christianity has become, a badge of social affiliation? Is it a badge of cultural legitimacy to be able to say that I'm kind of Christian uh, because I, I aspire to do good things? Uh, I'm trying to live the best life I know how has become a default identifier that shields you from the, the winds of cultural change. It doesn't mean that you always show up in this building. Maybe it's first Sunday or third Sunday or fourth Sunday. Maybe every other month you come on fourth Sunday. <laughs> Is that what it means to be Christian, that you have checked the box of church attendance? Well, certainly, this pandemic has proven that the church is not these four walls. The church is not even an institution. The church is a people. What it means to be Christian is that we have been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. And the church, if we are honest, over the last several decades in American life has been on a bit of autopilot because we've had a prevailing cultural tailwind at our backs, pushing us forward into legitimacy and comfort, but now we're in a season of disruption when true biblical Christianity is under attack. The philosophers would refer to what's happening now as alethic relativism. It's this notion that there is no such thing as truth, and in a world of alternative facts and fake news, we must confess that what is factual feels at stake, and if simple facts are at stake, then the real truth is at even greater risk. And when we engage in a culture that is characterized by this alethic or moral relativism, when the truth is under attack, that means that the church is under attack because the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord, the one who said, I am the way, the truth and the light. And so in an attempt to become relevant or politically correct or tolerant or sensitive or unoffensive, we've become Christian-ish. <laughs> and in so doing, we have diminished our distinctiveness. Several decades ago, the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, wrote that cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. That cheap grace that Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer wrote about sounds like a bit of Christianishness. It's a pseudo Christianity in which we have lost sight of what it truly means to be the church. 
Some would critique the church and say that we'd become so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good, but I believe in some corners of the church we have overcorrected and become so earthly minded we're of no heavenly good. We've lost sight of what it means to be the church. We've grown comfortable being at the political center, the power center in society. But that's not what Christianity is about. When we look at its origins, followers of Jesus Christ were at the political margins. They were at the social margins. It was unpopular. It was risky to say that I followed the one who claimed to be king of kings and lord of lords, who was crucified and was raised on the third day. That was a risky proposition to cling to the unadulterated word of God. In this brand of easy Sunday morning only Christianity that we in many corners espouse today may be of low social cost and low cultural cost to us, but it's of high spiritual cost. And I believe that God is desiring to shake the church, to reconnect us with the essence of what it means to truly follow Jesus in a world that doesn't want to. And I believe that we ought to pray. As we consider the rebirth of the church, we ought to pray that God shakes us, because when God shakes us, we'll never be the same again. We see that in our text this morning in Acts chapter number 4. When we rewind the tape back to Acts chapter 3, we find Peter and John healing a disabled man on their way to the temple in the name of Jesus Christ. This man is healed after decades of disability. And this disturbed the religious establishment such that by the time we get to Acts chapter number 4, they were arrested. They were jailed overnight and they were brought before the Sanhedrin council, the religious intelligentsia, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, because Christianity was not at the center of the political and social landscape. They were being threatened with death for following Jesus Christ. And this was, mind you, the same group that had just sentenced Jesus to die not long before. They threatened Jesus' followers with death, but in the meantime, instead of causing the movement to die, the movement grew. You'll see it in Acts 4 and 4, that the church grew from 3,000 on the day of Pentecost to 5,000 by the time we make it to Acts chapter 4. And I want to pause here and encourage us to recognize that when the truth is under threat, and when the church remains true to her calling and her mission, the cause of Jesus Christ, there is nothing that can stop the spread of the good news of God's love. There is nothing that can stop the impact of the gospel. And there is nothing that can stop the growth of the church. By the time we get to verse number 7, we find the Sanhedrin council interrogating Peter and John and saying, by what name have you done these things? Who, who authorized this work you all are doing? Who, who's your sponsor? Who, who, who gave you the okay for this? Peter said, we are doing these things in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, 
the one you all crucified, but the same one God raised on the third day. It's fascinating. The Bible says in Acts 4 and 8 that Peter stood, not in his own strength, but he stood full of the Holy Spirit. It reminds me of the words of 19th century pastor and theologian A.T. Pearson, who said in his book, Acts of the Holy Spirit, that no one attribute is more needful today for Christ's witnesses than Holy Spirit boldness due to Holy Spirit fullness. Peter went on boldly, not only arguing that it was in the name of Jesus Christ that they had done these things, but in verse 12 you'll find that Peter articulates that neither is there salvation in any other. Before you get upset with me, it's in the text. He says there is no salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved other than the name of Jesus. And this is a tough message, not only for modern ears, but even for those ancient ears to hear. But because there was evidence that in the name of Jesus this man was healed, while the Sanhedrin didn't want to agree with that claim, they couldn't disagree with it either because there was actual proof before their very eyes. And as we look at a church in which thousands of our children are walking away every year and hundreds of churches are closing and risking not only irrelevance but obsolescence, we must acknowledge that while the world may disagree with our doctrine and disagree with our dogma, they can't argue with a manifestation of the power of God to do miraculous things. And while they may disagree with our teaching, if we can create an environment where people can encounter God for themselves, they can't argue with what they've seen and with what they've heard. We find that these men in the Sanhedrin council were not pleased, even though they could not argue with Peter and John, and so they counseled among themselves, what can we do to these men to shut them up? Can we threaten to take away their 501c3 status? <laughs> what levers do we have to pull? What buttons can we push to water them down to steal their effectiveness to make their pointiness a little less pointy. He threatened them. Remember, we just killed Jesus. We can do the same to you. Stop teaching in Jesus' name. Stop preaching in Jesus' name. Stop meeting the needs of broken people in Jesus' name. And Peter said, we can't. We can't stop. Do you think we should obey you or should we obey God? I think we're going to pick obeying God. And we can't stop telling the things that we've seen and heard. We can't stop testifying of the goodness of Jesus. And so after a night in jail and a little bit more intimidation, the Sanhedrin released Peter and John, hoping that by releasing them, they would not be able to have any more publicity. Hopefully they'd be able to contain the movement by quietly releasing them. But what they didn't recognize was that the pressure that they put the people of God under pushed the people into prayer. 
And when the church begins to pray, heaven responds to earth. So we serve a God who hears and answers prayer. And that's good news for somebody this morning who's wondering, does God hear my prayer? We serve a God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. And that ancient truth echoes down through the corridors of time that our God is the God of all flesh. There's nothing too hard for our God. So when we get to our text here in the latter part of Acts chapter 4, Peter and John, free from their night in prison, gathered in a house. Not just any house, it was a house with the precious saints of God. A house like this house, not a physical church structure dedicated to the worship of God, but because the church is not the four walls, the church is us, it was like this. Peter and John gathered with the saints of God. They cried out to God together with one voice in faith, not asking for the easy way out, but asking God to empower them for service. They cried out to God in faith with earnest expectation. God observed their threats. Look at what they're trying to do to us. Consider what they're doing and give us boldness. Give us fearless confidence to boldly proclaim your truth. And not only that, give us miracles and signs and wonders, not as spectacle, but to attest to the veracity of your truth, to attest to the fact that when we invoke your name, something happens. And when they prayed that prayer, the Bible says God shook the church and sent the Holy Spirit for them, not just to do church some more, but to be the church. And in this season, I believe God wants to shake the church again. Now as I prepare to close and take my seat, I want to lift up this prayer for us. I want God to shake us, not to break us, but to make us. Not to make us bitter, but to make us better. Shake us until you change us, Lord. Shake us until you shape us into the image of Jesus Christ. Shake us until we walk like you and talk like you, until we live like you, until we give like you. Shake us until you empty us of our pride and prejudice and pretense and fill us with the Holy Ghost. Shake us until the chains of addiction are broken over our lives until our alcoholism and substance abuse have been laid aside. Shake us until our pornography and our shopping addictions have been laid aside, until we can go into the store and buy what we want, but not let the store have us. Shake us until we are not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Shake us until we're no longer ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Shake us until we're no longer ashamed of the name of Jesus Christ. Shake us until we agree with the hymnologist that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood 
and righteousness shake us until we agree with the words we sang this morning that Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood shake us until we're dissatisfied with church as usual shake us out of our slumber until we no longer crave a form of godliness but deny the power thereof shake us until we believe for the miraculous until we invite you to interrupt Sunday worship with an undeniable move of the Spirit of God shake us until we believe the Bible we read the Bible we preach the Bible we carry shake us until we praise you with all of our might and worship you with all of our being until we fall to our knees and our souls must confess that we trust you and you alone shake us Lord until we don't want to go back to normal we want a new normal with Jesus at the center father we thank you for that precious truth that you will shake us. Holy Spirit, have your way in us individually and collectively. Stir our hearts, set our hearts on fire, give us fearless confidence to represent you not just on Sunday, but on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, on Saturday. In the halls of academia, in the halls of government, in the boardrooms of our corporations, in the classrooms, uh, and on the street, in our community centers, and in our country clubs. Help us to represent you and to watch you work, get the glory, Get the praise in Jesus' name. The people of God say amen.
thou guardian of our souls, we thank you for the privilege of worshiping you this day. We thank you for keeping us safe thus far, for guiding and guarding our souls. As we leave this place, but never ever from your presence, go before us. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh upon us so that we don't just want to come to church, but so that we will be the church and bring glory to your name. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. The whole church shout, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go in the peace of Christ.